Hey, good morning, or whenever you're watching this uh, to you all. Um, it's so good to have you uh, take part in this and um, look into Micah with us. We have been going uh, through the book of Micah over the Sundays of this semester and been slowly working our way through these words that God has spoken um, through this prophet to his people. We're about two-thirds of the way through um, as we go into this. Um, as we have looked through um, the course of you know, Micah's prophecy, his writings here, um, there are some different things that we have seen um, him kind of speak into. And if you've been following along, I want you to just take a minute, um, a few seconds actually, to just think on those. Like, what is it that Micah has been saying? What has God been saying through Micah? I would use words like discipline um, and also hope. Um, a word, the word judgment would also be a really good one for what Micah is bringing to the table here. Um, Micah's words have been a mixed bag for God's people um, and mostly of the warning type, um, just you know, full honesty, a lot of warnings there. But throughout it all, we've seen God pointing to hope continually, to restoration and to giving this call to come back to him, for his people to come back and turn from these other ways and, and, and come back as his people fully like obedient and loving of him. Um, we just saw this major hinge moment the last time that I spoke on this um, back in, in uh, early Micah 6, and God lays down what he wants from his people in that moment. He calls us to seek active justice, to love faithful mercy, and to live in humble obedience before him. But this upcoming section shows that things have become dire. Um, so let's read this together. This is Micah 6, 9 through 16. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city. It is wise to respect your authority, O Lord. Listen, O nation, and those assembled in the city. I will not overlook, O sinful house, the dishonest gain you have hoarded away or the smaller than standard measure I hate so much. I do not condone the use of rigged scales or a bag of deceptive weights. The city's wealthy people readily resort to violence. Her inhabitants tell lies, their tongues speak deceptive words. I will strike you severely and destroy you because of your sin. You will eat, but not be satisfied. Even if you have the strength to overtake some prey, you will not be able to carry it away. And if you do happen to carry away something, I will deliver it over to the sword. You will plant crops, but you'll not harvest them. You will squeeze oil from the olives, but you'll have no oil to rub on your bodies. You will squeeze juice from grapes, but you will have no wine to drink. You follow Omri's edicts and all the practices of Ahab's dynasty. You follow their policies. Therefore, I will make you an appalling sight. The city's inhabitants will be taunted derisively, and nations will mock all of you. Hard stuff here today, um, uh, and not as much hope as we have seen in some other of these sections. Um, so I'm a dad, and about 95% of the time, I love being a dad. Um, I love it. But there's that 5%. Um, you know, and, and there's plenty of hard moments, don't get me wrong, but uh, it, is, it is pretty great all around. Part of that 5%, though, when it's like, I don't know about this, this is difficult, um, is in the area of like obedience, disobedience, and discipline. 
um, it's not fun to be that person, to, uh, to have to discipline kids, to give consequences to your children. That, that's not enjoyable to me. Um, um, but it's something that has to happen, right? Um, boundaries are set for reasons of protection or lack of maturity. Correction happens when bad choices are made. Um, consequences happen in the face of disobedience because we want our kids to be decent human beings, but a kid that gets whatever they want, whenever they want, is going to act the same way when they're 20, when they're 40, when they're 60. Then they'll, they need to learn it at some point that other people matter, um, that there are ways to do things, right? Um, so sometimes discipline is needed. And just like it's needed when raising a child, just like it's needed when you're growing up and learning, on a larger scale, God's people are at this point where discipline is needed. They've ignored and they've disrespected the authority of God and the consequences are headed their way. So remember again what God said about his people to Abraham. I've said this several times, but in Genesis 22, 18, there's this promise being made to Abraham and God in the midst of that says, through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And we know there's this ultimate like blessing that comes through Jesus through Israel, right? And Jesus is, comes out of that and is this Messiah um, for us. But God's people also are supposed to be the blessing to the people around them as they live out their priestly calling, but instead they've, in general, turned from that path. As a final kind of punctuation at the end of the chapter, Micah writes, you follow Omri's edicts and all the practices of Ahab's dynasty, you follow their policies. And to us, we may be like, I don't know, what, what is that? Um, to them, I think that would sting. I hope that would actually sting. Um, because what that's talking about is some kings of Israel that have led up to this great disobedience long ago at the point that Micah is speaking. Um, but they were part of what led to this point. Um, after David, to kind of do a little quick history lesson, there's, there's Saul, then there's David, and there's kind of this high point of the kingdom. And then Solomon and the temples built, and there's kind of a high point of the kingdom until things begin to slip. But when Solomon's son... Um, steps into the throne, um, there ends up being a split between 10 kingdoms that become Israel, the northern kingdom, and two tribes, um, Judah and Levi, that stay in the south and become the, the kingdom of Judah. Um, and Jerusalem is that center seat of that, whereas Samaria becomes the capital and the place of worship for the 10 tribes that broke away. Um, so that has happened. And the northern kingdom, these 10 tribes being far away from the central worship of God at the temple in Jerusalem, having a lot of influence from the kingdoms around them the, that worship uh, other, other false gods um, and do a lot of different practices that God did not want his people to be doing, um, as well as having kings that were more interested in establishing their own little empires than serving the people in the kingdom of God. Well, we come to this point. In 1 Kings 16, verse 23, 
we're at this place. It says, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, it's the southern kingdom, right? Omri became king over Israel and reigned for 12 years. He reigned six years at Terza. Omri bought the hill Samaria from Shamir for two talents of silver, and he built a city on the hill and fortified it and named the city which he built Samaria after the owner of the hill, Shamir. But Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who came before him. He walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, which he made Israel commit, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. So even worse than this other person who was like, you know, Jeroboam, it was like, that was the guy who did evil. And now Omri's like taking it up a notch in that, in that, that place with, with the people of God. Okay. Um, now for the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might which he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers in death and was buried in Samaria. Ahab, his son, became king in his place. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all the kings who were before him. And it came about as if it had been a trivial thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. Now, some scholars um, would think that uh, Jezebel actually was like, kind of like a high priestess of Baal or Asherah, these false gods. So for the king of the people of God, who has said, there will be no other gods before me, worship no other gods before me. Um, for that king to take as his wife, a priestess of these other gods, is a problem, very problematic, right? So he marries Jezebel, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah. Ahab did more to revoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. I kept saying Baal, it's Baal. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to leave that in there. Um, Ahab, you know, he goes on, if we needed more, to constantly feud with Elijah the prophet um, and does things like murdering a guy because he wants his vineyard. Um, not an awesome king. Um, very, very much wickedness and evil and sin um, that he's bringing about in the people of God through his rule. Now, this is what God is comparing the people to. Like, this is the thing he's comparing them to. And it's the exact opposite of what God has said that he desires from his people in verse 8 of this. We, we talked about last time, the whole idea of, of seeking justice and loving mercy and walking humbly before God. This is the opposite of that. Um, I've been reading uh, through Leviticus, and Leviticus 18 at the very beginning hit me the other day. God says to his people, I'm the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. This is during the Exodus, and um, he's bringing people into the promised land. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and my laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. There, there's this call to live by God's way, 
and not act like the people that they came from or the people that they're going to, but to walk in his ways, but they've turned from all this. God calls them to seek justice, but they are committing injustice like cheating people and resorting to violent coercion. He calls them to love mercy, but they are only looking out for themselves. He calls them to walk humbly, but pride is the motivating factor for them. And since that's the path they've taken, they will get what they're given. They will get what they have given. They have withheld, and now things are going to be withheld from them. They have cheated others, and now things will be scarce for them. They have lived by violence, and now they will no longer be protected from the violence that is all around them. Now, this is extremely difficult stuff. Um, This is not lighthearted today. But we need to keep remembering, even in this moment, there's still time. Remember, there is still hope being held out in this prophecy. This is not a taunting monologue. There's no reason for God to do that. Why would, why would he do that just to, just to, in the end, destroy them? There's still a warning being given here. There's still a warning, and there's still time. Now, I read from the, I think, the NET to begin with, but the, in other translations we read in verse 9, heed the rod and the one appointed it, one who appointed it. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. And this is, this is discipline talk. There's a lot of proverbs that we read about, like taking correction and like a wise son, um, you know, takes discipline and all these things. Um, God is not interested in just lashing out in anger. This is discipline talk, not just destructive talk. It's about discipline of his people that he loves deeply. Heed the rod. He loves his people and he wants them back. Now, the prophet Hosea was a contemporary of Micah. There was some crossover between them. And Hosea says this in chapter 6 of of that prophecy. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Now, that sounds very familiar to what Micah said earlier, um, it is wise to respect your authority, O Lord. And Hosea says, let us acknowledge the Lord, let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And farther down, Hosea says this, God says this through Hosea, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. There is a connection in Hosea as well to justice and mercy and humble obedience, but the people of God had strayed instead into the ways of the people around them, and now discipline was coming to bring them back. Now, there's a few things we can take away from this as we look at God's discipline of his people here in Micah. Um, Remember, if we're followers of Jesus, We are God's people, his children, and there's a response of life action that we're called to as such. Paul tells us in Romans 12 to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual act of worship. 
Um, we have this call to worship God in all his holiness with all that we are and to continue this mission to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before him. So we want to live otherwise than the way the people were that Micah was speaking to. So the first is this. We need to watch, watch the way that we walk in. Watch the way that you walk in. Again, I talked about this a little bit, but verse 16 when he's like, you follow Omri's edicts and all the practices of Ahab's dynasty. You follow their policies. And we looked at how these kings were influenced by a past king that they did not follow God and by the nations around them that were hostile to the Lord and his ways and just like their selfish ambitions. But the question is like, who are you being influenced by? Who are you being influenced by? These people have been led astray by people who were led astray and people who were acting like others. Who are you being influenced by? Um, Psalm 1 um, is a beautiful psalm that just starts out that, that book. And it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Now, this isn't saying never talk to anyone that's not a Christian. That's not what this is about. You know, we're supposed to be light in the world. We're supposed to have relationships with people and love others well. But it's more of a question of who are you being influenced by? Who are you walking in step with? Who are you standing with? Who are you sitting in the company of? Who is influencing you? How are you living? Are you living like Jesus is Lord of your life or that you are someone else's? We need to watch the way that we walk in. The other piece of this is that we need to accept correction from the Lord. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but Proverbs 13.1, among many other things, say things like, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebuke. I've said it many times over the last few weeks, but we have to remember God's heart for us. It's for liberation, for restoration, for hope in our lives. He is jealous for us as his people in, in the best way possible. And if his heart is for us and he is good, discipline has purpose. One thing I want to be clear on is that just because something hard has happened in your life, that does not mean that it is a discipline of the Lord or that your faith is weak or something like that. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes trains just happen. Uh, but if you have sin in your life that you're not repentant of, you know it and you know what those consequences are looking like. Often God allows us to live in our own actions and those consequences sometimes are enough for the moment when it comes to punishment and discipline and those things. Uh, if you're holding on to some sin that is the inverse of what God has called us to, you know, injustice, forgiveness, pride, unforgiveness or pride, my prayer is that you would let that go and that you would embrace the mercy of God. First John 1 John 1.9, we have this promise that, you know, if we confess our sins, that He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to accept correction from the Lord. Jesus has more for us than to try and build our own little kingdoms on this earth. 
He has purpose for us to also bring the blessing of hope into the world. The, the gospel message that though there are so many things broken and there's so many things not like they ought to be, that there is someone who can make those things right in us and in the world. Jesus tells the disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. And that's something I think is meant for us as well. God has purpose for you to be a light in the dark world. Um, this is a, a commentary um, called Christ-Centered Exposition, um, exalting Jesus in Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. And this is what, uh, just a small section to kind of end here. Um, it's talking about this in Micah 6. Why does this matter to us today? It matters because the greatest hindrance to the gospel is the life of the person who professes to be a Christian, but does not live a life that reflects Christ. It gives those that are not Christians the right to question the authority of both our faith and the gospel. Why? There's no justice or mercy on display. This is the challenge of Micah 6. God wants more from us than occasional religious performance. A real relationship requires more. He wants our hearts to beat with his heartbeat. When we sin, he wants us to own it, confess it, and continue our pursuit of him. He wants us to live for his glory in our personal lives, marriage, parenting, jobs, hobbies, and community. God wants our hearts to be filled with justice, faithfulness, and humility because he's never been about religious performance. He's always been about our hearts. Micah 6 is an amazing chapter, and verse 8 is an amazing verse, but let's be honest, it hurts. It's hard on us because it challenges our motives. It forces us to answer the question, why do we do what we do for God? Do we follow him half-heartedly just to try and win his favor or get into heaven? Do we perform religious activities with a prideful, sin-filled heart? Would we rather God just let us live how we want without any commands or constraints? These were the attitudes that dominated the people of Israel and Judah during Micah's ministry. Despite their idolatry and rejection of God's covenant, they were placing their hope in the fact that they maintained some level of religious activity as God's people. They were convinced that Micah was wrong about his message of judgment. Time would prove the truthfulness of his message, however. We have the same choices to make today. We can live like modern-day Pharisees, or we can live with a heart that acts justly, loves faithfulness, and walks humbly with God.